you've gotten up early, you've gotten to work early only to get fucked at the gate. Yeah, Vanguard's like, nope, sorry. We're pretty convinced that if you show up between 6 p.m. and 9 or 6 a.m., you're up to no good. It's like, okay, (laughs) all right, yeah. Yeah, you're some sort of delinquent if you're here before 6. Yeah, because most of the crime lords that I know, they're early risers. (laughs) (laughs) And how many of those do you know? You would be surprised. (laughs) So I have to address the elephant in the room before we get started, which is I know we were expecting um, uh, Dr. Randy and the Trash Man uh, for a guest appearance today. Unfortunately, um, the Trash Man is tied up probably administering uh, antidepressants to young youths in high quantities at the moment. So he's off just spinning illegal prescriptions, uh, doing doctor things. And then uh, Dr. Randy made up some bullshit thing to me about how he's got an interview with his new practice that he got scheduled at the last minute, but I think he's really hanging out with this chick. So uh, yeah, you know, they're, 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 they're practice. They're, they're well, We're talking about practice. Yeah. <laughs> They're they're uh, they're not going to join. They 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 are not as enthusiastic tonight about the idea as they were uh, last week. So we'll see. <laughs> the luster if, uh, has the luster has faded a bit. I I think I can effectively proxy the venom that they were intending to spew about Monza. So good. Uh, good. I was well fucking there for every second of it. <laughs> well, before we before we get into the bad stuff, how was the uh, how was the rest of the trip? How was your oh, much beloved was... France? Then uh, at least the early stages of Italy. So I, dude, France, I, you know, I joke about the French on this podcast, but um, it, it was probably my favorite part. Um, Bordeaux is awesome. I don't think Bordeaux gets talked about as a place to go in France often enough, but it was like a really special place. Um, just in terms of like the authenticity of the city, but then uh, the access to just other things to do and just um, the food was incredible uh everything about it it just had a little bit of every good part of france just kind of in one very approachable not overly touristy town and it just felt very french Hmm. um and yeah so we loved bordeaux um the thing i'd say about lake como is one it's the most beautiful place in the world and two italy does not deserve lake como (laughs) as a country (laughs) at all like they're not good enough for lake como it's kind of a shame that it's there if switzerland should just like redraw the border and drag it a little further south um and yeah uh edinburgh was awesome scotland was awesome as advertised i've been there before so yeah and then belgium we went to brussels and did like delirium alley and all the beer and stuff so it's good i think right. i think last time i called in the last episode we were in belgium i think we recorded it so yes yeah brussels and not the netherlands as i was led to believe yes um, exactly yes correct um you know as you were talking about france i i think i saw a little glint in your eye maybe a little tear was is that just your jet lag or or is that some deep sentiment for the french i, I think i feel like this is thawing the the ice around your heart towards the French. Maybe Alpine is uh, Alpine in your eye. No, those are two very separate issues, uh, but I'm happy to talk about more <laughs> later. I, the, it's it's uh, just the glazed over shell of myself look from the jet lag for sure. Yeah. Well, with that, uh, you know, I, I have to I have to wade into a, a darker territory. Uh, curious what what was the grand prix experience like so you walk out of your villa in lake como set to go to the race what happens next do you want me to do this like on the actual after we've kicked off 
Oh, I thought we were. I thought we were just in the show. I thought this was the oh, intro. Oh, we're going, man. We can play the intro music. <laughs> man, like dude, it. we're fucking hot. We're zooming here. We can <laughs> okay. play the intro if you want to play the intro, but I'm rolling. No. We'll do it live. Fuck it. Do it live. I can. I'll write it, and we'll do it live. Three lights. been told to come in lap after lap after lap and what does he do he ignores them a committee meeting about it stick it on and send him out just get it through the bus stop chicane george try and straight line it get to the line and we'll see what happens paris tries to cut off hamilton oh, oh, no. and it goes straight on this is kind of appalling this is the worst start for a grand prix that i have ever seen in the whole of my life what So, so look, to say that it was an experience would be generous. It was hell. <laughs> we're, we're, we're in hell right now, boys. <laughs> to quote a famous sports movie. Uh, it, it wasn't just one of the worst sports experiences of my life. It wasn't one of the worst events of my life. It was one of the worst days of my life. <laughs> like, And I mean that. Very genuinely. Like, I really do. I, it was mentally and physically torturous, and we had paid to be there. Like, there were like s- several Squid Games references based on what we were experiencing throughout the day from several, several <laughs> in the group. Like, it was awful. I, I didn't even, so I just want to like set that as context. And there's nothing that anyone in America, if you've been primarily, I don't care how big of a sporting event you've been to, or if you've been to the EPL in Europe, I don't care how big of a sporting event you've been to, Super Bowl, whatever. There is nothing that you could have experienced in America, a music festival, anything, that would give you any conception for just how badly that event was going to be managed. And and what it would mean for you as an atten- as an attendee and all the stress that it would put on you. So we so got what, up in the morning. Yeah, yeah walk ahead. me through it. I, I need the details here. I want to relive this this horror show with you. So we woke up. We stayed in Bellagio, which is like the central. There's like a peninsula that juts out into the the, the like almost shaped like a wishbone. And Bellagio is basically kind of right at the center of that wishbone, right where it breaks. And um, so it's actually pretty easy to get. Well, you'd think if you weren't in Italy, it'd be easy to get <laughs> from this small town of Bellagio coming down to Monza. So basically, all you do is. You ferry across to the east side of the lake and you take a train from Verena 50 minutes to Monza. And you're there. It's literally it. There's no changeovers. There's there's nothing. You just train from Verena and you're in Monza. So and there's literally it. just a train station. How yeah. far from the track? Uh, four, three and a half kilometers, four kilometers. And they have a okay. bus system. So we reached, so it was like, oh, you can get to the train station, take a shuttle of the track and you're there. That sounds good. Yeah, exactly. So I was like, why wouldn't we stay in Como? You know, if like it's that easy to get to the track and just day trip down there. And so I, I thought to myself, this is going to be a slam dunk. You know, I we had paid for $1,000 grandstand seats in Miami. So we were like, we probably don't need to do that again. I did a little reading on Reddit on like pre-COVID Monza. And everybody said general admission generally was good value for money. There was like, you know, all of Parabolica, basically, exterior and interior to the track. It's open to general admission. So I was like, oh, Parabolica is a huge turn. There'll be plenty of spots for us to sit. Yeah. So I go in, they're thinking like, yeah, this is great. Like, first off, so first, 
We get to Italy on Thursday night, and Friday we try to get up to Como, and all of the Italian train workers union has decided to go on fucking strike. So we can't even rely on... The, the trains are all canceled that day. So we like it It, it takes like a, an answered prayer to God to get us connected to an Uber to even get to Bellagio in the first place. So we've already been burned by the Italian train system once. So we're well, like, At least they effectively knew how to plan a good date for a, an effective strike. Yeah, seriously. I'm just glad they didn't do it Sunday, but they might as well have because it wouldn't have made a difference relative to how it actually worked when it was running. So we get to the train station and the train ends up being like 30 minutes late. You like literally don't even know what like track you're supposed to, like the train's coming on or into the station. There's no digital boards to tell you like when it's arriving or when it's going to be late. You have to like hop over the tracks of the first platform to get to the second platform. And if you miss time it, you get like run over by a fucking train and die. Like it feels like you're in a third world country. And so if you happen to survive to get on the train, which we did, and it was 30 minutes late, you make your way down to Monza. I will credit them. The shuttle system to get you from the train station to the track was fine. And so at this point, we're late, but everything is like generally okay. What time is it? It's probably 10 o'clock. Okay. 10.30. And the race starts at 3 o'clock local. So we're like, we got plenty of time. We'll go walk around. We'll do the F1 fan experience stuff. Get some drinks. Get some get some food. Go find us a spot in the trees in Parabolica. Have a great day ahead of us. So they park the bus probably a half mile to the south of the stadium entrance. This is a massive park. Mons is this massive public park. The land that the track occupies is like a fourth of the size of the park. It's a massive park. Hmm. So there is... And this is a very important point for what I'm going to describe later. There is infinite space for them to work with. Infinite fucking space. It is not a space issue. Like I love how this I love how this epic has a foreshadowing point. It it is infinite. There's infinite space, so it is not an issue of having enough room to fit people. So they drop you off about a half mile south, and as we start walking, it's like a little crowded, like we're starting to get a sense for it. And and then as you get up to the where you can see like the bag check line, everything, it really starts to converge and get really tight and congested. That's fine. I've been stuck in bag check lines for other things. I get it. It's a bottleneck. It's a security point. So if you're going to be like shuffling in arm, you know, shoulder to shoulder with people and sweating your ass off at any point, you're going to expect to do it at the gate. But then once you get through that, you're good, right? Like generally it'll be, it'll, it'll clear up. Yeah. Dude, we we spent thirty minutes getting through that gate. We were already hot and sweaty, sweating our ass. So off. wait, hold we on. Inside the gate bag check. What did you have confiscated? I heard all sorts of stories of the, oh, ri- the lids off of bottles being confiscated. Yeah. Your well, dignity. So I had read on Reddit the lid thing beforehand. So we all had water bottles because we had also read that the water stations were a shit show. So yeah. we had these big water bottles. So I just took the fucking cap off and put it in my pocket and then walked in and screwed it back on. Like, it's like <laughs> the security was a joke. Like, they were checking for these very specific things, but then it was also incredibly easy to, like, get around yeah. and cheat yeah. it. Um, so you could have a bag, but they were, I don't, honestly, the security, it was a little bit like, you know that meme where the guy's, like, at the stadium security, he's just kind of like, you know? and He's, he's just invisible it, hands him. Yeah. yeah. It's like Hover that guy, him. if he had a couple additional very arbitrary, stupid, pointless rules that he was enforcing as you went through. You know, it's yeah. just like... So, but it but it made a choke point for people that was just miserable to walk through. All right, so you got your lid in and your prison wallet. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, and by the way, the ticket scanning. They didn't have a system for scanning you out 
and then if if you'd already come in. And so they so that what they had to do was scan the barcode again and then press like a couple numbers manually on their ticket scanner to designate you as scanned out. But they didn't have a system for managing the flow of people coming in and out simultaneously because like they, they didn't, didn't have designated inbound and outbound gates. So people got into this, but even before we got there, they got into the track and realized how much of a shit show it was and started leaving three hours before the race and then clogging up the entry lines. And so it was like two, a two way train wreck. And every single time they switched to scan somebody out, it took them time. And then they had to go back and scan more people in. Absolute disaster. So once we got in, I thought to myself, it's going to clear up. We got through the choke point. We're going to be able to get some concessions, get some water, find some shade. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Everything got exponentially worse every 100 fucking feet I walked after I got through the security point. The people got more dense. There was... Let me just put it this way. (laughs) That infrastructure was built for at most 100,000 people. There were 350,000 people on the grounds. The bathroom lines were an hour long. The concessions, you, you couldn't even use real currency to buy concessions. You had to go purchase this fucking Mickey Mouse Disney World Fun Pass wristband and then you had to preload it with like a monopoly money currency that was only good in the state in at the race. But the exchange rate for the monopoly money was like two euros to one. And then you went and paid regular prices for concessions after you loaded the band. And oh, by the way, if you don't use all your monopoly money, you just lose it at the end of the day. So the line, so you have to buy this bracelet to before you can buy anything else. And the line to buy the bracelet is like an hour long. And once, if you successfully secure the bracelet, then the line to get food, a beer, is another hour. It's another hour. And so what began happening was, so no, so I started noticing this. And I also then noticed, I was like, nobody's walking around with a beer in their hand. And I was like, do Italians not drink? And then the answer inevitably came to me. Nobody can buy a beer. Like, they're not, like there's a, the lines are too long. And so vendors started like black marketing stuff out of the backs of their tents with like cash because they couldn't sell enough quantity because nobody could get the fucking wristbands. But that's, it, dude, it it was so bad. The, again, the bathroom lines were like 60 <laughs> minutes. There were three water stations, three for like 300,000 people. And in then the, the whole, in the whole in place. The, oh, when you went to Montreal, do they have like all the F1 fan experience stuff set up? Like oh, in the, yeah. you can walk it. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> apparently I wasn't there for Friday. Plenty practice. of space. Well, again, there's plenty of space. Space is not the issue. <laughs> uh, <laughs> apparently uh, Friday and Saturday, I wasn't there, but they were supposed to have had the F1 fan experience stuff set up. But like, apparently they just didn't finish building it. <laughs> like, 
They just didn't finish building it. And so the F1 fan experience was basically this open field and like half of it was constructed and half of it wasn't. And they just like opened up the, por- <laughs> the portions that were on race day. And then there's like scaffolding and tent poles like laying around on the other side of the... And then, and then the they have like part- caution tape or <laughs> just like an open construction zone? Oh yeah. So then, so then <laughs> we're like, we, we realize we can't get water. We can't get a beer. So our only hope is to cross the bridge into the infield where it looks like there's going to be less people and just get to Parabolica. There were concessions in the infield, and we were like, all right, guys, we just get in the infield. Like, we get through one more choke point, like a bunch of people converging on this bridge. If we yeah, just, just get one over, more. Literally, I was like, just get over this bridge, guys, because I was trying to still be positive at this point. So I was like, guys, just get over this bridge, and we'll be, we'll be okay. And so, like, me and Taylor and Chase were kind of with it, but Chase's wife was there, and I got to tell you, Becca is – a saint. She was an absolute trooper. She did not bite anyone's head off. She kept her head down and kept her cool all day, but she did not want to be there. And this was like making it worse. And so I was like, guys, we just got to get over this bridge. And I was 100% sure on Reddit. I had read that general admission would get you into the infield. I, I knew it. Like it was a true every other year. So we, we, we pushed through this freaking clob of people and get to the bridge where this guy's checking tickets. And it turns out there's two versions of general admission tickets, and one of them magically gets you into the infield, and the other one doesn't. And so we can't get into the infield, which is where 80% of the viewing area for general admission tickets is. And so we literally like had no alternatives for places where we could even see the track. Joe, I might have I <laughs> actually had direct line of sight into one square foot of asphalt, and I walked an entire circle around the fucking track. That's... That's how many people were there. You literally couldn't see asphalt. I didn't see a single car. We did an entire <laughs> lap. We did an entire lap. I heard them. I heard them. But we did an entire lap around the track, and we looked at each other, and we were like, we're getting the fuck out of here. And we left. We left with like a, an hour before the race even started. and went. Because the other thing was, they didn't add trains to the train schedule to accommodate for the flow of people. And so if you had stayed till after the race... And all you were trying to do was get a train back to Milan, which is like 15 miles away. Reports are that it was taking people six hours to get through the bus system to the train station and then get on a train to Milan. And there was like crunching, like happening on the trains from people shoving that hard because the train schedules were literally running like as normal on a day where there were 300,000 people in a town that normally has 25,000. Like, Joe, it's, it's as if... It's as if they said, it's as if they literally said, we're going to throw the party of the century and we're going to invite people from every state in the country and we're going to host it at one fucking Chuck E. Cheese and we're not going to plan anything else. And let's just see how it goes. What do you think is going to happen? The parking lot's going to run out of spaces. <laughs> the pizza's going to dry up in about 30 seconds. Nobody's like, getting tokens. Sir Chester Cheese in his suit's going to have too many kids to play with. Like, it's just nothing's going to work, man. Like, the pipes are going to burst. And I tell you, the thing that was more infuriating than just that was the fact that it didn't seem like any Italian person that was involved in the organization gave any shits or wanted to do anything to to, to help you about it. It was as if... They all saw what was happening, and they were like, oh, yeah, this is normal. <laughs> <laughs> well, as an American, you're just like, 
What? I will never, ever, ever go back to Monza. Ever. I don't care if you gave me a sweet level ticket and you paid for my flight and took me on a fucking helicopter. I will never, ever go back to Monza. It's one of the worst days of my life. That's my story. I'm sticking to it. Wow. Well, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm a bit at a loss. I, I Throughout the course of that story, I had a bunch of jokes to throw in, but it just continued to get progressively worse. And now I just, now you just brought me to such a dark place. I, I there's a lot of macro issues that I, as I've reflected on this, I think are have led to how this something like this could happen. I also don't think it's totally unique to Monza, although I think Monza probably experienced it more acutely than anybody on the calendar this year for a couple of reasons. But F1's got a problem, man. Like, this is a problem. And if you pick the wrong race in the wrong country with the wrong infrastructure post-Drive to Survive and post-COVID, you're in for a long fucking day. Long day. I won't do it again. I really won't. I will hesitate to go anywhere outside the U.S. for a race unless it's Montreal um, or the Middle East, honestly, or Japan. Well, I want to come back to that, but you started off your your story, your tale, um, your journey, uh, saying this is the, one of the worst experiences of your life. And I immediately thought you must have a, a, a privileged life when a day in Monza and a night resting your head on a villa in Bellagio is the worst <laughs> day of your life. Fair. I'll take that. To your point, though, of having a problem, I guess, one, what do you see as, like, the root of it? And two, I guess I'm confused by the idea, because you're right of, this is a, these are all, sure, while tracks are their own thing, they have their own management. As an organization, you are still somewhat responsible for the collective experience that you have at all of your venues. And so I have to wonder, do... Do does like F1 need to have some sort of like more out of the box model? Like if you think of like a franchise type model where there's some level of consistency and certain standards and certain ratios of water stations to population, like do do they need to lean in a little bit more into the actual like event management and maintain a minimum level of quality? And like, look, I'm all for keeping Monza, even if the racing's shitty. I'm sorry, uh, Monaco, if the racing's bad, right? History, all that. But that's almost like a characteristic where if you're F1 and you're running a race and it is a horror show, I'm like, dude, we can't come back here. Like, this is not a good look. No one has a favorable review of this. Hosting hosting F1 is on a smaller scale like hosting the Olympics. When's the last time Italy hosted the Olympics? Like, you have to have infrastructure. Was it like 700 AD? You you have to have infrastructure. So I think so. To your point, like the, the, to the root cause of this, it's 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 actually I think it's pretty obvious. It's really two macro trends in general, uh, converging on each other at the same time. One, it's the exponentially increased popularity of Formula One. I mean, more Amer- I'm sure there were more Americans in Monza. I haven't seen the stats, but we there had to have been a, a record broken for the number of Americans in attendance to that race. Like. We met them all over the place, including the fucking buses that were leaving the grounds an hour before the race started. That bus was full of Americans. So you think it was over capacity relative to what they expected? So you've got historic tracks that are in countries that already have poor infrastructure, which Italy 100% has poor infrastructure. 
And so they're not built for large events and handling large flow of people. And they're historical tracks who have been able to maintain their place on the F1 calendar without actually making investments in the fan experience and it hasn't mattered. And that's very much Monza. But isn't so there you've still got, a capacity on the number of tickets sold? Like, isn't there a ceiling when you say... Yeah, but the event venue, dude, they, like, they're, just trying to, they're just trying to make money. And so they're not... Like, they, they're so independent as a venue and detached from F1 that their motivation is just their bottom line. And, like, I don't think that they really had the foresight or even the care or accountability to, to, to wonder what the impact of that number would be on the actual fan experience. Yeah, they just said, you know, print the ticket. They just said, print the damn thing and and weren't prepared for even a third of it. And so you have an influx of demand and really, really poor supply from countries and tracks that have gotten lazy about the fan experience. And I got to tell you, man, we've had previous conversations after I went to Miami, you went to Montreal about this notion of like, is North America in general with the influx of the U.S. going to take over the F1 calendar? And I say, if I'm swapping places like Monza, for something else in the United States that may be twice as expensive, but actually is an experience that is worth paying for, then I would say put the whole fucking calendar in the United States at that. Like, it, it was that bad. I don't actually mean that, but like, we may, we may need to gentrify <laughs> like to some degree, like the old dogs on the F1 calendar if the countries themselves aren't willing to make the investment. Here's a spa. Spa is a great example of a track that, Felt the pain, especially when they had that rainy day in 2021 and the fans were miserable. And they turned around and cut a check for almost $100 million and started investing in the facility. So some tracks are going to rise up and they're going to pay it and they're going to make it work. But some of them are not. And dude, after what we experienced in Monza, it is really tough for me to believe that they're going to do that. I don't think the answer is that F1 as an organization subsidizes the, the hosts. I don't think that's a feasible model. But they do have to define a standard and they have to be willing to not just be blind traditionalists about the organization of the F1 calendar in the service of tradition if they care about the fan experience. It's going to be very tough to do both of those at the same time. Well, I mean, when you're talking about paying $1,000 for 300,000 tickets, I mean, shit, that's a hell of a lot of revenue to have 50 porta potties. Here's the other thing that that is really unfortunate about it. There's so many... like issues of profitability for these venues that are so poorly managed. The the amount of direct revenue that these venues lose just on the second market and how mm. much ticket distribution is not done directly is a joke. Like, yeah, that's it's an, foolish. Oh, it's an absolute joke. Um, yeah. And so, and then the, so I think F1's got to come in and like help apply some standards and maybe share some like digital, like media technology to help them with more direct ticket distribution right yeah. now, dude. Like they should do the variable. They should have variable ticket pricing and direct direct sale straight 100%. away. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. All right. F1 so you think F one should step in with more like the shared technology for ticket distribution? Share, share technology and set standards, right? Like set certain standards about like minimum, you know, amenities or whatever, right? And like certain aspects of the fan experience, which they do to some degree, but they've got to they've got to be more heavy handed because. I, I just, I won't go to more races. Like, I just won't. I would, I will take the experience I had in Miami for four times the cost a thousand times over. Not even close. And I thought Montreal was, was amazing. Like, I heard people complain about the, 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 oh, the train to this. And like, it was a long walk or a long entry. And I'm like, dude, I took the, I took the ferry. I had a great ride across the river. It was beautiful. Like, yeah, I had to wait 
an hour and a half because I didn't buy my ticket in advance to take the ferry back home on like practice day. But once I knew that I was good to go. And like there was almost zero issues. You could see the track in multiple places like and they didn't. And um, and Montreal doesn't even have a lot of general admission like viewing area relatively. So I. Yeah, I was. I mean, and I was. You know, as I first asked, I was feeling jealous when I heard you. I was like, "Damn, I had the time." Yeah, I ended up going to Acadia. I could have made a. I could have made Monza work. What an idiot! Bro. And you dodged a bullet, dude. I'm shocked. Uh, and I was gonna ask you, oh, like, what would you rank, Monza or Miami? And like, so I could talk some shit about Miami sucking. And damn, they really ruined that whole narrative. Bro, I would rather get a root canal than go to Monza. Seriously, if you had, if I had flown out there just to go to Monza. I can't imagine. At least we had another, like, trip built yeah. around it. Yeah. And we, like, at the end of the day, we got back up to Lake Como. To your point earlier, like, tough life. Oh, you ended your day in a pool at Villa in Lake Como eating pizza, drinking beer. Yeah, I did. But had I not had that to fall back on, I probably would have jumped off a cliff. Like, I mean, if we had flown out there just for that, that would have been one of the more heartbreaking things of my life. Like, it was so bad. It wasn't just, like, disappointing. It was torture. To well, I guess it. to make it sink in, you you paid the money, you made the trip, and you didn't even see a car. Didn't see a single car. And honestly, I <laughs> sorry, I, I could. I'm. I was like, I'm like, I'm like having contractions over here. It's like <laughs> you're genuinely dude. like sweating through your shirt. I'm, I'm, this I'm is like, the most distraught I've ever seen you. I'm it sorry, was man. Traumatic, I, man. It was. <laughs> it was traumatic. Like, I'm freaking lifting my arms up, and I've just got, like, a waterfall. This is, like, some sort of cruel sociological... Like, if you were to propose this as a sociological experiment for, like, the Journal of Psychology, I don't think you could get this study approved. I think this would... You you couldn't even run this test on human subjects. (laughs) Yeah, anyway. I, I, we don't have to... I just... I'm sorry for beating that one dead, but I... Again, there's just not there's nothing that could have prepared any of us for how bad it was going to be, and I I hope that American sports media I don't think it really got picked up enough. I know Matt Gallagher as much as we talk about WTF one, um, he's doing a, a video piece right now. He di- he asked like on Twitter, can you guys send me all your bad fan experiences from this year? We need to bring like light to this stuff. So he's working on like a video that he's hoping is going to get some attention. But like, dude, it. It was bad. Like, it was worse than bad. I, I can't I can't stress it enough. And I'm generally somebody that's, like, not high-maintenance to sporting events. Like, give me somewhere I can see and a beer, and I'm generally f- totally content with just that. <laughs> and I got neither of them. I didn't even get close to either one of those things. Oh, lastly, let's go back to land use real quick. I was going to say, I, I want to go back to land so I want to stress how little walking area there was to get to one part of the track or the other amongst such a massive fucking park. The, one of the biggest fields, they, there was, we were crammed into this corridor with concession stands. Gerald, at one point to get around a crowd that was queued, well, it wasn't queued, it was just a blob of, of a mob in front of a Heineken drink tent. <laughs> and and then and, and the, the, the horde of people that was in front of it prevented anyone else from getting through the walkway. And so we literally went through the back of the tent and like climbed over the kegs to like get through so we could go to the other side. And and behind the Heineken tent, there was a there was a there was a temporary barrier and then a massive un or a massive open field that was 
perfect for foot traffic. Massive like, open field like a, that ran like the an full oa- length. Like an oasis. But, but, but guess what they were using the field for? Uh, dude, some kind of storage shit. Helicopter parking. <laughs> Hel- helicopter parking. They had to put the helicopter parking like 100 feet from the track. It's not like you could just push the helicopter parking out 100 feet and maybe, I don't know, put a couple golf carts in to shuttle the handful of billionaires that are coming in to make them go a little further to get to their suite. And then, like, maybe just widen the regular fan walkway by, like, 20 feet so it's not congested. No, instead, you're going to put an entire field of helicopter parking as close to the track as fucking possible so that nobody can actually walk who's not flying in on a helicopter to get anywhere. Like, nothing about it made any sense. They put zero thought into it. Zero. All right, I'm done. I'm done. I'm officially done. I mean, if that doesn't paint the story of... uh wealth distribution in society even the well-to-do able to travel to monza and pay for a ticket are still peons in the grand scheme of things i think i also think there's something cruelly paradoxical about the fact that there's a mass of people trying to get beer blocking a walkway only to have the newly formed anarchic walkway be the access to the beer itself (laughs) We literally climbed over kegs just to get around the tent. Everyone's trying to get where you are, and you're trying to get somewhere else, and you got what they want. (laughs) It was like, dude, I was like, I just need to grab one of these quarter kegs and lift it up over my head and just go freaking hit a race official with it. I mean, it was like, (laughs) I I felt like I was in like a prison riot. I I, I really did. It was really bad, man. It was so bad. (laughs) <laughs> it was so bad oh god man i'm glad i wasn't there <laughs> i mean seriously it, it, it was like oh ever there was anyway all right what are we going, what do we want to talk about next? i i think that's it dude i think we've i think that was the show man <laughs> <laughs> who gives a fuck about the rest of it it's not like you have anything to add you didn't even see the damn thing so so, so here's did my you have to go back to your did you have to journey back to your your villa to only be able to tune in and when it turns it on you're like you want to watch you want to watch live or start from the end (laughs) you're gonna shit your pants when you hear this so we left but not early enough to get back to the villa to the wi-fi when before the race started (laughs) and none of us so all of us had the verizon travel pass on our phones garbage only only allows you to use 500 megs a day before oh, no. they cut off your data speed. And, and in Italy, when they cut off your data speed, it means they just cut your data off. That's what it was. In, yeah, that's what yeah. it was in Montreal. It's like you have data, yeah. and then you have like not data. <laughs> so, so the way we, so you can't watch YouTube TV on your phone, and we're desperate to watch the race. So the way that we hacked it is we, <laughs> you know, the YouTube TV app. Uh, so first off, I'm like signed in to YouTube TV through like a Nord VPN to like deep fake my way in the United States. So YouTube TV thinks I'm watching from LA and, we, <laughs> and you know, on YouTube TV, how, before you click on a race on your, uh, on a, on a show on your home screen, it shows you the little preview window and actually shows you what's going on in the action, but it's super pixelated. It's like a one inch by one inch screen. That's how we watch the race through the YouTube TV preview window. <laughs> Sitting on a train headed back to Verena.
I couldn't. I, it was too pixelated to even tell, like the order on the grid. You couldn't. You couldn't even tell the colors. Yeah. Couldn't hear any commentary. That we paid two hundred and fifty dollars for a ticket and flew to Italy, and that is how we watched the race. It was so bad. It was so bad. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, at least you could laugh about it now. (laughs) I don't know, man. I'm crying. I don't think I'm laughing. (laughs) I literally... Oh. Yeah, so oh. here I so here I am to talk about the 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 team results. And I haven't even watched the fucking race. I haven't even watched it, dude. I haven't watched it. I don't know what I'm going to talk about. This is why I've been ra- this is why I've been ranting this whole time because I know as soon as you ask me about what Haas did, I'm going to be like, I don't know. I didn't see it, dude. <laughs> like, I haven't I haven't watched the replay. Like. <laughs> well, I was wondering. Uh, oh fuck! <laughs> I was trying to wonder if you if you would like re-engage, you know, the night after, or if you would just swear off. I was all so things mad, Monza. No, and- I, I've been, I've been, I'm working through the stages of grief, and I'm just not quite there yet. <laughs> yeah, I'm just not. Well, fortunately, Singapore will be here before you've you've gotten through all the stages. <laughs> I think so. Uh, that'll be your acceptance. Oh um, god. Well, you know, fortunately, you've you've offered us ample content, so I, I think we can make the uh, I, I think we can make the rest of this pretty short order, and actually maybe hit an episode in under an hour. All we—that's the trick. All we need to do to be able to do episodes in under an hour is not actually watch the race. Yeah. It's just force someone to experience trauma and not watch the race. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And horrible for one, pure bliss for for the other and hopefully for the audience as well so for your sacrifice we need to screenshot the series of text messages that i sent you and josh that day and put that somewhere <laughs> to remember to, to remember it i was so mad i was like so mad I, there was, well maybe not because there might have been some pretty i was gonna say i'm not even sure we can repeat half of the things on this <laughs> on this show and we've already done we've already dug ourselves in pretty some pretty deep holes. So, um, well, I guess I should start off by asking you, were you aware that uh, Nick DeVries drove this weekend? Maybe we start there. <laughs> I was going to say the hot, the big one we need to start with is Nick DeVries, right? I, dude, how impressive was that? Come on. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you saw, you saw practice then, right? I mean, that preceded the gauntlet of hell that you endured, right? So maybe give your, since you can, you can weigh in on that. You want to share your thoughts from uh, maybe FP3 or from, from qualifying, maybe Nick DeVries specifically. I mean, well, to be honest with you, I don't know how much there was to really observe in practice because he got basically two thirds of FP3 under his belt, and that was it. Which, is, to me, is like enough time to figure out where the buttons are, if anything. Was it even I that mean, much? I mean, I, I thought no, he, I thought I he, he came out minutes. with like yeah, twenty minutes. Yeah, barely anything. So yeah, it's like literally. Let me make sure I know which paddle goes up and which paddle goes down on the gearbox. Like that's yeah. basically what he had time to do. Yeah. Uh, I mean, how many tire compounds can you realistically test in 20 minutes? Probably one. So it's like he basically went into qualifying as cold turkey as you could be cold turkey, right? Like seat probably didn't fit him. Again, probably doesn't know where all the buttons are. Doesn't know the communication norms with the team and the engineers. 
And the dude just goes out and out qualifies Nicholas Latifi on like pure instinct. Well, think about even FP3, right? Like he at least had one lap that he blew going wide in a corner. There was probably more between your he didn't outlaps, look good between your outlaps and your in laps. <clears throat> yeah, he probably only had a small handful of laps, and he still end up being off of Latifi by a tenth of a second, and then immediately in the qualifying session to come back and make it into Q2 while Latifi didn't clear Q3 or Q1. Um, I mean, yeah, it's incredibly impressive and he only what yeah i mean and the only reason he didn't genuinely have a shot at q1 is he he blew the last lap um something to do with brake bias early in the lap and and that was it for q2 so right which is understandable when you don't even know which knob on the steering wheel is the one that changes brake bias right like well and he's what this is the third car he's driven so he's driving different cars different wheels i mean incredibly impressive from that standpoint to even get into q2 um, and then, I mean, from there, thanks to all the, I mean, there's really a, a, a perfect storm for him, right? I mean, a track that's well suited to a Williams car, which is like very hot and cold based on whether or not it's a high speed track or not gets the high speed track, gets another weekend with a ton of penalties, moves up the grid and worst pretty much worst teammate on the grid. Perfect. Worst teammate on the grid. I mean, you can't look much better in the eyes of the the fandom and then he proceeds to hold position i mean he he doesn't do anything special but he's sitting in a drs train with with joe sitting four tenths of a second behind him and holds him off all race long thing of beauty dude didn't make major mistakes you know i'm sure the race as you could tell as he was getting out of the car at the end it was very physically demanding on him his body's not used to taking turns at that speed and he hung in (laughs) super impressive like the other thing that's even more impressive is he knew that was the only interview he was going to get, hmm. right? Like, he's there's no second round. Like, that dude's been in racing, what, he's like 27, right? He's like a little older because he's done yeah, formal. a little older, <clears throat> yep. Done formal E for a while. Uh, he knew that's the only interview he was going to get. So if you ever had an excuse to be nervous, being later in your career and knowing this is probably your one shot and it came to you more or less by chance, if there was ever a time where I would give somebody an excuse for making a dumb mistake purely on the basis that they were nervous, it would have been him. But he didn't, man. And look, he's he's had other practice sessions, and I think he's even participating in like the Alpine, uh, Alpine, whatever you want to call it, open practice as well. But to have one that's in race trim, um, yeah, I mean, that's going to be few and far between. So I, I can't even just imagine that dynamic of, yeah, the whole rest of your career more or less could could hinge on this. Now, look, I think he was going to get a seat at Williams anyway, but what his interview did was potentially put him in an Alpine. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I hope of so. an interview. I, yeah. I you'd have so. to think he I earned he it. I mean, <clears throat> other than Gasly, I, like I, I don't know who on the list would be a better candidate after that, after that showing. Yeah. The only, t- I like Nick DeVries, man. I, uh, the only time I'd really ever seen him was when he was forced to do the post-race shows on the sky broadcast, which is just like, Nobody looks good doing that just because of the way you're set up. But I like the way he carries himself. You know, he's another Dutchie. He's like super straightforward, very direct, but seems to be a pretty honest person. So I agree with you. I don't know if there's a better candidate. The only time I haven't liked Nick DeVries, and it's only the look of Nick DeVries, is there was a practice session where him he's standing side by side with Toto, and they both have like the sweaters wrapped over their shoulders, you know, with tied around the neck. And I'm like, he just looked like the worst version of like a mini me. I was like, dude, bad look. Don't do the 
don't do the sweater over the shoulder thing. Yeah. Like find another look. Uh, but other than that, I mean, he's always done good with all the F1 content and yeah, man, it's good to see a little bit later in the career have a shot. So yeah. I mean, you have to, you have to wonder if that spells uh, good news for Palau as well, because relative to, to Herta and award, uh, I think he's a little bit older as well. Is he 27 or 31? I think 20. Wow. Yeah. I'm not sure. He is older though. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that might, that might give him a shot as well, but I mean, good to see him overall. So yeah, it was a hell of a weekend for him. That was really the, that was really the highlight. What's the, the, the it's looking more and more like Gasly probably stays at Alpha Tower because the Herta super license thing isn't probably going to happen for various reasons. And so, yeah, it looks like Alpine's probably the most likely destination for him, uh, which, you know, I don't think that's the worst thing in the world for Alpine. No, I mean, it's it seems to be a good thing for Alpine and certainly a come up for for him. So, um, yeah, hell of a hell of a weekend. And just to correct, Palau's only 25. Award is 22. And I think her does 2022. How old's um, Drogovic? I feel like nobody's given Drogovic any shine, but he just casually won the F2 championship by like 80 points. Well, that was interesting. There was a he's only 22 as well. It's interesting. There was a, a good article about like it titled um you know Drogovic is about to win f2 why does nobody care and it was just an interesting commentary of the fact that he sort of has done it without outside of any driver program and there's so many drivers in all of these driver programs and so you it's almost like an impossible task but it seems like he's gotten more interest to at least be a reserve driver so at least he's at least he'll be on the wall and and sitting with the team so it, he's it like seems the- like He's like what Notre Dame is a college football dude, just like won't join a conference. <laughs> well, he se- he seems talented, so I hope it doesn't bite him in the long term. Yeah, I mean, hell of a hell of a season. So, um, well, so Nick DeVries, I mean, and so does this does does this is still, I mean, effectively end the Al- uh, Latifi's time at Williams, or do you think by some crazy chance of luck? Somehow this actually saves Latifi because he jumps all the way up to Alpine. I've I've said this many times in the context of your Latifi questions. You can't you can't end something that never that that was already over. <laughs> like it, it, that's not even a valid question. Like it was not a matter of if it was just who is going to be in. Like, that's it. So yeah, you you had a note in here about the grid penalty piece. We want to touch on that one for a minute. I mean, it was another weekend full of them. Even worse, actually, probably than Spa. Yeah, so ton of penalties taken for for engines and among other things, um, and so causing chaos to the to the qualifying lineup um, and how they craft the starting grid. And look, I will fully admit, and this is probably showing my ignorance in particular, but I was in the camp, and I think others were as well. Even some of the commentators, like I think Palmer, even like FP one was like. Oh, if Verstappen like qualifies first, he'll still be, you know, maybe fourth because X, Y, and Z driver will drop down. And so it seemed like plenty other more knowledgeable people than me gave on the impression that you pulled out people that also took penalties and that still counted based on where you all qualified. But then you got into the race day or at least after qualifying multiple hours, drivers still didn't know they were cracking jokes on social media about still having no idea where they're going to line up. So is it just not a set policy? Is it not a clear policy or have we just not experienced 
like the amount of change up to this degree. And therefore there was just different circumstances that led it to turn out differently than I guess how I was expecting it to, to have max drop five. Once they've stripped out all the other drivers with penalties, I thought he would go down five and then all the other drivers would also go down and then he would move up to wherever he ended up. But it's clearly not what happened. Yeah. I mean, I don't, what would be the cleanest way to do it? You basically just chart the grid based on time without applying any penalties. And then you just apply all the penalties from their relative position. Yeah. So you could be like, you could be first with 15 and penalty. So you're 16 and then every driver would get that. And then you just go in whatever order that was. That's and how I thought you'd a, get it. And if there's a tie break on your basically destination grid slot, you'd go qualifying time. Then you would go based on relative qualifying time. Yeah. And so what they did was pull everybody out with penalties and then however many penalties you had, then you had to go down the grid. And it just seemed, it seemed odd. And it seemed like others were confused. And it just seemed it surprising that that's not like, there's not a an Excel spreadsheet with this logic in here that can make this happen. Like I'm confused. Yeah, you and I could probably devise that in Excel in 10 minutes. And so, yeah, I'm sure there was other BS going on to deliberate over it, but yeah, no, it, well, I, I agree. It was a bit peculiar. Yeah. So, but in general, I, like are the grid penalties out of hand? I mean, last time you and I talked about this, we talked about feeling okay about it just on the basis of feeling, you know, it's fun when the grid's shaken up, right? Like, and you have cars out of order with their natural performance and, it leads to overtaking. Like, you still feel that way, or I absolutely. I mean, I think if it if the grid had gone how qualifying went, I think the by and large the teams would have ended up exactly where they should have, right? Like for the most part, everyone sort of settled in their natural position despite a ton of chaos. And so, yeah, I mean, I think it leads to a more interesting weekend. I think you have engine penalty rules, you have a budget cap, you have all of these other things. I, I don't know what what other constraint you'd be forcing on the weekend to make teams not take penalties so it yeah i I think it's i don't see it really a downside i just think we should be able to figure out what the order is hell of a lot faster yeah i think the only edit you do is on the margins which is just like increase the allocation of certain components you know so this happens maybe a little less frequently every year i think horner made that suggestion in the press conference they were asking he's like yeah the system's not broken you just need to be thoughtful about Increasing the allocation so teams don't do this as like such a constant between one car and the other every week. But you don't think you'd see, you know, if you gave enough allocation, isn't there? Aren't they just going to increase utilization and churn which parts they use, or no? Because you're still going to run into a budget cap, and so you have this sort of. Well, yeah, that's yeah, that's yeah. You that the budget cap's there to protect you from that. Okay, so then you, I guess, you become you, you have less of a dual governance. You're not governed by both as many engine like component regulations and the cost cap you say whatever however many fucking parts you want to use go use them but you got this much money that's kind of my point is like when you have a cost cap it becomes less necessary to regulate Mm. inventory right so that's the the that's the extreme is right because then it's up you want it's up for and then it's up for the teams to determine where they want to invest in reliability in hopes that they don't have to basically purchase parts (laughs) you know or like spend more on manufacturing down the line, but like it's up to them to assess that trade-off, right? I would rather it be that way, you know, because then, then you could get into this really interesting situation where like shit goes wrong with a certain component of a team's car and they just didn't have the parts to replace it, right? Like right now the inventory management is almost so structured that it prevents teams from screwing up in like really entertaining ways. 
But if you made it more open-ended and just enforced it at the like at the cost level at the top of the house, you might get some really interesting calculus underneath it that would lead to some pretty entertaining stuff, depending on the amount of crashes the team got into or like unexpected reliability issues. So, yeah. I guess the I guess the one concern I would have is it is it doesn't seem like the the cost cap and the oversight of it is a is a no, well established thing, and so especially when you have financial engineering in which you have subsidiaries absorbing costs and doing all of that. I think you get into a place where if the cost cap is the sole, uh, the, the, the sole regime that governs what parts teams do and don't use, I think you'll see a lot more abuse and manipulation of the cost cap. So at least, at least by having all of the engine part restrictions, there's a, I guess another backstop that prevents sort of runaway, but Ger- Gerald, isn't this how com- like public companies work? Like the concept of an audited financial statement. Like I, <laughs> this stuff is solvable. Like I mean, it doesn't. I mean, I, I don't know. At least what I've read in different places is they don't have great oversight. I don't know if they've clearly defined the treatment of sure. But I guess what I'm saying is like that could be worked that- out. It could be yes. worked out. Yeah, you you would have to make sure that that system is mature enough before you remove this other security layer basically but yes ideal state sure the day you bring in the big four for that audit you're gonna see mercedes running for the hills i guarantee you <laughs> <laughs> you see toto's gonna be grabbing the bag baby he's gonna be grabbing the bag <laughs> heading for friggin' maldives hey uh, i think uh i i think plenty would say that that red bull would be right there with a that might be the only time that might be the only time horner and toto wolf hitch a play, hitch a pj together uh, Horner's house is definitely in his wife's name. No doubt about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, nice. Um, all right. Well, let's let's get to the quick recap, recap of some of the individual teams. Overall, Red Bull. I mean, Max came back when fifth in a row, getting himself into some pretty short lists on people who ever accomplished this many consecutive race wins. And then Perez. Starting 13th, only climbed to 6th, only plus 7 on the weekend, whereas drivers like Sainz and Hamilton climbed 14 places. So, I mean, you can't help but say Sainz underperformed, even though he had some break-on-fire issues. Um, He definitely didn't climb the field as much as he should. He had a slow start off the line. Not a great weekend. So, let's – I want to go back to a question on Max, but real quick quick on Perez. I – I don't think that the direction Perez is trending is positive. Say that. I Fair. Uh, certainly not. I'm also going to withhold strong judgment until after I see him race at Singapore, just given his proclivity to generally be faster on street circuits. Um, fair. So let's just see. Uh, on the max point, my question at this point is, which race is he going to break the single season win total? Because it's 11. Schumacher has had 11, and then I think Vettel had 11. And in respective seasons. And Max is at what? How many wins does he have right now? Eight this season? Was that his eighth? I believe you're correct. It so is he's got his three. eighth. So he's got, he can, he's got to win four out of seven remaining races, right? Yep. I think, so when can he, you think he's going to do it? Um. Well, so I think, I think Singapore is a bit of a question mark. For sure. I can see him easily doing it. I, to your point, I think that's a good track for Perez as well, but I think you're going to likely see Ferrari and Mercedes be well-situated for that track. I think Max wins uh, Japan. 
Totally. I think Suzuka's a good one. I think Austin will be a bit interesting, but he probably takes that one. Um, last year. Mexico is yeah, interesting as track. well. Again, I think that's going to be, well, historically. Historically, it's been a Red Bull track. Could so be a Ferrari right. track this year, actually. I think it could be a Ferrari track. I do, to your earlier point on Perez, I think Perez does well in Mexico also. So I think Perez has a good Singapore and a good Mexico, at the least. I think Max wins Brazil. So I'm up to Brazil and Japan. And I think he probably wins. Uh, Interlagos, I think he probably about it. No, I think he's he wins winning Interlagos. that. No, yeah. that's oh, 100%. Saying. Yeah, he's yeah. Winning Japan, that. Interlagos. And then Yas Marina, he's winning that. And I think so he wins. I think he wins Yas Marina. So he ties, potentially, unless he takes one of the other three, which is which, an obvious uh, statement. It, it's, very, it's very possible. <laughs> it's like I fucking think. John Madden. There's six. He if, if he wins three of the races, he ties. As long as he wins another one, he'll have one more win than the others. <laughs> yeah, no shit. Um, yeah, I mean, look, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he, if he falls even in ties with the group, which I think would kind of be poetic as well. But yeah, I think Japan, United States, Brazil, and Abu Dhabi could very likely, and even Mexico, I think. So, cause just because largely Mexico has been really effective for them in terms of, um, altitude. high altitude as well. And I, I don't, it's kind of a unknown if that plays out, but assuming that does, I think he win. you know, he could win five of the last six races. Last time Ferrari drove at altitude, Carlos Sainz's car exploded, so I feel pretty good about. Well, and and I'm I'm betting well, we'll get to that. Yes. Um so I you're right. I'm not ready to count Perez out either. I think he's got at least three good tracks coming up in his name. He did good at Abu Dhabi last year. So yep. you he's know, had a I, string of tracks that don't suit him. So I he's not trending well, but he he could recover it. Yep. I agree. It's it's been the tough patch of the season. Um, all right. Well, but to be fair, I mean, he needs to make sure he finishes strong. Otherwise, that twenty twenty four contract is uh, is looking a little long in the tooth. Uh, yes and no. Like, who's the alternative? Who's their better alternative? Is kind of my question, right? Like, you're not going to go nab a lead driver from another team. What are they going to convince Carlos Sainz to come back to Red Bull? Like, I mean, if they could do that, then sure, I would say is it's too long, but. In the absence of that, I don't know who who's better than him. I agree he's not the best second driver of the leading teams. He might be the worst second driver of the leading teams. But is there a better one that's not already on a leading team? I mean, the only yeah, probably not. I think Norris is on too long of a deal. You wouldn't get right. him back he's any like, sooner. I agree. All right, yeah, I think he's yeah. off the table. So, so yeah, I think you've locked in a good a good number two, but not. Not crushing it, but we'll see how he does in the rest of the year. Um, all right, on to Ferrari. Second, fourth place finish. Opened up a gap by five points to Mercedes. Now leads by 35. I don't know about you, but I think this win was critical for them as you look ahead to the rest of the season. They needed to stop the bleeding. They did that at least. They didn't bring home a win, but they also didn't have any major fuck-ups. Um, and both Ferrari drivers finished ahead of, you know, they're a respective Mercedes driver. Can Let's I say you? Well, what I'd first off like to just say is, and then did no you get that? Have... Do you need me to provide any more detail? I know you weren't privy to really how, how the whole race. No, went, but I'll, I'll tell you, I'll to... tell you I saw, I saw all I need to see about Ferrari. And it was this, I have no trouble understanding why they suck so bad at race strategy and organization and planning in general. 
when their strategy team is full of like Italians who are probably related to the people who tried to organize that race at Monza. Makes complete sense to me now. <laughs> I will never question, and I will tell you that I, I am, am here to tell you that they will be the same team from a race strategy standpoint as long as they are constructed of those same people and that same culture. It's in perpetuity. Your, it's not their fault. Ferrari. Don't, don't. Don't do it's, that, Robin Williams. Don't. It's not. Don't. It's. It's not their fault. Don't do that. <laughs> it's, it's not their fault. I trust. I trusted you. It's. 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 It's not your fault. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. You know. It's. It's. I tough like to them over- apples, Gerald. <laughs> I. I love them apples. Um. Fair enough. Uh. Again, a lot of a little bit. No, but of to your point. Yes, it was a positive weekend, but also. Not positive in the sense that they didn't screw anything up and they still lost on relative car performance. And the only excuse we've had up until now is like they've had a good enough car to win and they've just screwed it up. Well, now they didn't screw it up and the car's just not good enough to win. So it's like, damned if you do, damned if you don't. But if you would have asked pre-Monza weekend, does does Ferrari have any chance in hell to win this race? Most would say no. Not yeah, at all. Right. And so the relative gap was far smaller than I think many were expecting, which leads me to ask the question, was this solely a Red Bull racing more conservatively because they had a larger rear wing or Ferrari turning up the engines or something in between? I think it was a combination of all those things. What this really highlights to me, though, is the the, the what happened to them at Spa, how much that really was about car setup. Like okay. they they could have gone. Clearly, they had a, they had a downforce package that gave them a lot more straight line speed, and they just kind of got the calculus wrong at Spa, and mm-hmm. Red Bull got it right. And I think to your point, Red Bull wanted to be more conservative and focus on race pace. Ended up paying off for them, but clearly Ferrari has an aero package that gives them straight line speed. I mean, they had it for sure. And then to your point, they probably you know put some NOS in the engine, brought back a little bit of that 2018 philosophy, you know. Little 2018 little juice in the engine could juice up the fuel injector. Yeah. So, um, well, and look, I don't know enough about where they're at in their allocation and nobody really does right. In terms of the wear and tear that different parts in their allocation have. But if they did that, look, I'll be a little bit conspiratorial here and I wouldn't be shocked if they did turn up the engines to save face in Italy and say, fuck it. If we lose an engine in the U S or or Mexico or Brazil, ah, well, you know, at least we finished strong in Italy and didn't embarrass ourselves there. So I'm I'm going to be keenly looking for engine failure from Leclerc in the next. Again, I don't know if you're pushing even hard enough in Singapore, but in in Suzuka, Mexico, or uh, or Austin, I think you could see engine failure DNF for Leclerc. Yeah, so I wouldn't be surprised. That's a good call out. Yeah, we will see. Um, and to that point, decent showing for Ferrari. Um, you think you think Bonato saved his neck here? Do you think he's hanging on by a thread? Our our for our Italian foreign correspondent has said there have been growing growing rumors of Bonato's ousting. You buy him, uh, dude, dude? They got seven more races to do something equally as stupid, if not more stupid, than what they've been doing all year. So, no, I i'm not he is no safer in my mind than he was so you do still think he's on he's on uh, on thin ice here and this didn't do enough to 100 percent. yeah dude he didn't win the race (laughs) what you kidding me like if they had gone one two at monza then i might agree with you but they didn't 
go one, two. They put one guy in the podium. So that was, yeah. And I still hold, if they finish second, he stays because they weren't supposed to win the championship this year anyway, right? That wasn't the goal. Yeah, I think that based on the tracks we have left, there's a decent chance Mercedes will catch him. Mm. And if they finish third, that's my cutoff of, this guy finishes third after starting first. Yep. This guy's got to I agree. Yeah, you can't. There's no excuse to lose to a team that had that much worse of an era philosophy than you. You know? Yeah. No. Well, and, and so curious to get your take on Mercedes then. They lost a, a, a couple points ground to Ferrari this weekend, but Russell qualified well, held position the entire race, finishing third, another podium. I mean, his his points accumulation has been a straight line throughout almost all of the season. Um, and how, albeit Hamilton now pulling ahead by another race in the qualifying head-to-head, uh, out-qualifying Russell, albeit to take penalties to send him to the back of the grid, but similar to signs, climbed 14 places, ended right behind him. So a little bit slower yeah. start off in the first few laps, but he ended up making up for it by the end of the race. He had a super impressive race considering he didn't just shoot off the line like Max or Carlos. I agree. And he kind of snuck up on me by like, you know, as I was staring through the, you know, the little keyhole that I was looking I, through I can to see, watch the race. I could see how that yeah. would happen to you. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're yeah, forgiven. No, I, I, it was super impressive. Nice. And, um, you know, I, I think the, the funniest part for me was, so Russell got put, you know, let me just recap for you. Cause I know you didn't see it. Um, Russell was pushed <laughs> wide in turn one, um, oh, going, was he? Okay. going side by side, <laughs> going side by side. Was it, was it, was it fair? Did he give him, did Leclerc give him space or no? Oh no. He definitely went line to line, no space. Russell had to cut the second corner in the chicane. Obviously he said it on a radio, but nothing came of it. But in the post, and then he had center, to give the place up. Like, did he come out of the chicane? He gave the place up he, right he away. Yeah, he, he knew. Um, but it was funny because Russell got a little bit of attitude in the post race co- press conference. He alluded to a, a very famous Montoya interview um, that where Montoya was run off the track by Schumacher and and their play. I guess they used to play clips, and you could actually watch it. And so everybody in the room is like watching this clip of Montoya getting shoved off the track by Schumacher and. Montoya's like, yeah, oh, Schumacher didn't see me. How, how could he see me? Right? Because that was Schumacher's excuse. I didn't see him. Um, and and yeah, basically the end of the quote is like, you'd have to be blind or stupid not to have seen me. Uh, and so Russell like jokingly just says it to Claire. He's like, oh, what was that Montoya quote uh, about, you know, not being able to see somebody? And and they all took it and tried. And Max was like, yeah, you didn't see him, right? And so I just thought it was like one, an interesting showing from Russell of like a little bit more personality and two, like personality I want to see, like don't be the Mercedes robot. Um, But also I think it just is an interesting dynamic of like past and present where press conferences used to be very openly hostile and, and um, combative. And now it's like three friends hanging out there talking a little bit of shit and like, yeah, you push me off. Like you fool. Like it's, I, I don't know. It, it seems like a so good, that's mature... really, yeah. Well, I actually disagree. I think it's less entertaining. I wish they would be mean to each other. I mean, yeah, <laughs> frankly I do as well. Which is like why we need Fernando Alonso on the podium, you know, yes. more often. Um, Bring the heat. But it's an unfortunate byproduct of just like the personal brand of drivers growing with the rising popularity of the sport. They care more. Because it used to be like Mika Hackadin and, you know, whoever else would sit down in the presser and just be like, hey, man, fuck you. Like, <laughs> it was like, it was just, it was awesome. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, those yeah, days I, are definitely long gone. Those days are gone. We'll have to watch them in YouTube nostalgia. But 
but I also thought it was just an interesting dynamic of how, and I just don't know if it was the same for all drivers previously, or if there was a lot more like they were coming from different places and maybe it was exactly the same, but it just seems like these, all these young drivers together, particularly coming up through F2 um, and like the lower class junior classes together have just such like a closer unity and it's more of a tight knit group. I mean, even DeVries, right. Carting against all these guys. And so, I mean, it's kind of like a very small family. So I just don't know if you have the same degree of hostility as to maybe where people came from different places and, and it was a little bit more, um, a little bit maybe more unstructured in terms of how you got into the sport. Maybe that's why we need some more IndyCar drivers in here. Bring throwing out the elbows, a little rough around he's the coming, edges. Dude. 2024, he's going to get a seat. He'll have that Alpha Tower seat. You can feel it. Who's the, he, and the he is Herta? Yeah, place, as long as he places higher than 10th in the IndyCar series next year. He's got to do yeah, a little that's better. That's my question about Herta is why has he been the top candidate? I, it seems a, like Palau... Age, but, Age, yeah, age and potential, and then but, testing that he'd had with the McLaren earlier this year. Well, so it'll be interesting to see how that other testing turns out with Palau and, and Award as well. Sure, age, totally. but he's only got one year on Award. And I guess the argument will be, if you take out the ovals in IndyCar, Hertz should have a super license, as should the other drivers as well, apparently. I don't know how the others have performed in absence of ovals and if their performance would still be comparative. But right now, basically, the, the race in Laguna Seca and the overall championship goes in the order of Palau award and Herta. So Herta's at the bottom of that, that trio. Um, all right. One more prediction on Mercedes. I need from you. Um, Russell world driver championship, second or third. He sits what he is just 16 points off of Leclerc right now. You think he, you think he jumps to second by the end of the season? Yes. I'd be willing to bet on that. Colin. I'd give it great, greater than 50% odds. Yeah. Colin of Russell second. Well, well I I'm, think it's necessary for if, if Mercedes is to beat Ferrari and the constructors, I believe that that will have to happen. Yeah. Cause Hamilton's lagging quite a bit. Unless Hamilton just surges, surges, which is also possible. Um, yep. So or a couple of big, or a couple of big engine failures on Ferrari side. Yeah, a lot of ways it could happen. Yeah. All right, so Russell for second place. That would be a hell of a year. Um, all right, I mean, you want to talk briefly about it? I'll, I'll, I'll talk about it for you, and then you can confirm um, your satisfaction. But uh, Alpine, I, I'm sure you're happy to hear this. Underperforming expectations. I went into this thinking oh, yeah. they were going to be a leading team, qualified just 10th and 11th behind McLaren Man, and Gasly. They, they really built a rocket ship in, down there in Paris, didn't they? Just built a rocket ship, yeah. And well, never mind. I've already <laughs> dug myself a hole. I was going to make a space shuttle joke, but um, <laughs> oh no! <please. laughs> and so they, but with penalties, Alonso <clears throat> started sixth. Ocon started fourteenth, only to have Alonso have a DNF. Um, so basically, lost lost their chance at points. Lost ground. Basically, lost ground to McLaren as they didn't finish in the points. And yeah, but Mr. they didn't Norris lose did. too much ground, thankfully, because, you know, Daniel Ricardo races for McLaren. So that was fine. Yeah. So basically, let's let's be clear. Norris increased his lead over Alpine this week by six points. Uh, <laughs> yeah, or, 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 I'm sorry, narrowed the gap to Alpine this week by six points. They started <laughs> three and four after penalties, ended up finishing seventh and 14th um, on the grid. So Bro, Daniel Ricardo was running third. Yeah. Don't stop, forget that. 
at the after the beginning of the race, again, squinting through my little keyhole on my YouTube TV preview screen, that dude was in third. Yeah. So, Ricardo, late race DNF, um, basically had his... I'm sorry, I, I don't know why he said I said he finished 14th. He, he DNF'd. Yeah, say, he DNF'd. Um, last DNF, caused the yellow flag, only to have yeah, his but what car... Position, was, he, was he in the points when he, when he DNF'd? I'm not sure that he was. No, he... I, honestly, he dropped down the grid well before that, and... Yeah. And then DNF'd, only to have his car hanging over the track or the audience... Uh, again, I saw that picture online. I don't know if that was just a photograph. I didn't see a video of it, but it's just the photo of Danny Rick's car just hanging. They've pulled it in off the track and it was just left suspended there. Are our conspiracy theorists out there going to say that he intentionally left the car in drive because he knew Max was in front and he didn't want it to restart. So Max would win the race. That seems pl- pretty plausible to me. Mm, I think you're onto something. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah wow. <laughs> all coming together um (laughs) and that's basically all i have i mean we've already and and i think as we go down the grid the other big big failure aston martin double dnf they brought a sweet looking rear wing that gave them more drag than any other car on the grid (laughs) only to have only to force their poor engine to work against it all weekend long, leading to a double DNF. So those um, boys just deployed a parachute behind the car. <laughs> I mean, they make some cool looking shit that catches eyes, and it is trash, dude. They, yeah, that's yeah, yeah, for sure. It's like when you were in, in elementary school, you thought you wanted to be an architect, and you draw the dumbest looking fucking building. You'd be like, "This is cool," and you're like that's not gonna work. Um, all right, give me your personal podium for the weekend. I mean, I'll t- I'll say this for the both of us. There is no other Please. answer. It's Nick yeah. DeVries. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Actually, the first weekend I have ever submitted a vote for driver of the day. I, I cast my vote. I was a participant in this democracy, and I voted DeVries 2022. The best silver lining of it all is that he bumped Latifi back to number 21 on the, <laughs> on the driver's <laughs> standings list. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, wow. that should be an auto. That should be an automatic. You lose your seat and get relegated as a driver if you finish outside the top twenty on a twenty driver grid. Like, like you shouldn't even be have the chance to be retained. I don't care yes. how long your driver's contract is. New rule. Yes, it's like Premier <laughs> League relegation. If, a, if 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 a substitute comes in on one week of the year and and beats you in one race for the entire year, you're out. Like you're out. <laughs> I I support that. That should be part of DeVries' campaign uh, platform. I'll vote for him again. All right. There you go. DNF of the week. Wow. <laughs> care, to, Can I just, care, <laughs> care to reiterate? Italy. <laughs> I'm, I'm shocked. Italy's my DNF. Wait, you, I'm you? confused. <laughs> why, why? The country of Italy is my <laughs> DNF. <laughs> I, I said I meant what I, I said what I meant, Gerald, and I meant what I said. <laughs> no, would you like to elaborate? I feel like we haven't no. we haven't really unpacked this enough. Italy, your mm. turn. I mean, Alpine for the Alonso DNF. Um, he's putting in a great season, and he's getting fucked left and right by the team, and that's why they very well might I'm not. Him. That that's why they might not get P four in a year where they're only battling one other driver. So that would be a pretty damn big disappointment all right let's close this out on to singapore what do you got what's your prediction who's doing well 
who's coming coming out of nowhere? Uh, I got I don't got jack shit to be honest with you. <laughs> I mean, that's never stopped you before. Uh, no, I mean, look, I agree with your assessment. If there's a track that Max is the least likely to win on for the rest of the year, it's Singapore. Um, I do. I think Perez has a chance to maybe outperform on a relative basis. Um, and yeah, Singapore has a tendency to be a bit of a crashy place. So it could be an interesting race, mix things up a little bit, maybe see some more yellow flags, hopefully not within the last five to seven laps. That'd be great. Uh, yeah, that's about all I got. What about you? I'm thinking this is where I'm going for uh, Red Bull struggles a little bit. Ferrari and Mercedes do really well, but Mercedes comes out on more points as Leclerc either bends it into a wall or has an engine failure. This could be, this could be your double, your one, your Mercedes one, two. Mm. I think, I think this could be a, this could be, this might be your best chance at a Mercedes one, two. This is the Mercedes win this year. Mm-hmm. All right. Or yeah, maybe I should say that instead. Just the Mercedes win, I think, could definitely be. Yeah, I, mean, I you you hit either of those, I'll, I'll give it to you. Um, and then you know my wild prediction. I think Albon coming back for a street course isn't up to the job. Devries has got to step in again. He fucking wins it. Boom. <laughs> what? Coming to the top just like that, making waves. No, I'm right. all in. <laughs> he's not even going to be on the grid when the race starts, but that's nah, fine. Nah, and if he is not. on a street circuit, I would bet probably a lot of money he would hit the wall. But yeah. and and that car will struggle. But uh, you know, we can we can have dreams, Graham. We can dream. With that, have a good night, everybody. Peace. Peace.